Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to the podcast, ladies and gents. This is episode 368 of The O Show, brought to you by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness in Scottsdale. Today's guest, Mr. Daryl Stinson. How's it going, man? Going good, man. I love these Mayweather clips. Make me want to kind of, you know, square up with somebody over here. Oh, man. Did you watch the fight on Sunday? I watched the highlights because last time I stayed up to watch the Mayweather fight, I was so tired the next day, man. And you know what? I don't think I got it in me anymore, man. I forget you're on the East Coast. It was like yeah. probably around nine o'clock where it ended for us. You're probably up to like midnight, 1 a.m. Exactly. watching those fights. And Mayweather, I'm with you. When he fought Pacquiao a few years ago, a few years ago, probably like six years ago now that I think about it, I was in high school. Um, I was up to like 2 a.m. and I just fell asleep. I'm like, who won the fight? Who won the fight? It's like <laughs> Floyd won by decision, you know? Yeah. You know yeah. how it goes. Yeah, I watched the I watched the Tyson fight, and that was just like, oh my god, man! It's like you know you got to go through like eighteen fights to get to the one. There were some exciting ones before then, though, so you know it was worth it. But I, I didn't I didn't pull it off this time. I was like, I'm going to sleep. I'll catch the replays, and uh, yeah, man, it, it looked like a great exhibition. Um, I mean, some of the prelims, those young guys that you were talking about beforehand. I mean, a great lead up to the main event, and then by the end, you're either into it or you're completely burnt out by the end. These are facts. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you reached out to me, man. I, I, I It was a quick follow on Instagram just to give people the gist, you know. Follow you on Instagram, went through some of your stuff, some of your content, love what you're doing. And you were kind enough to reach out to me, you know. Like, yeah. you don't really get that. Again, you got almost 20,000 followers on Instagram. You got a strong following around the country. And you were kind enough to reach out to me and we were able to set this up. So I'm glad we're finally getting to do this. Yeah, man, looking forward to it, bro. Like, I'm, I'm, I know we're gonna add a lot of value to the audience and just have a great discussion. You definitely seem like a cool guy, and I checked out a couple of uh, the interviews, and I was like, man, I think we can have a fun conversation. And I'm all about adding value. I'm on a mission to impact a million people in the next 12 months, and ultimately a billion before I die. So, you know, I'm just like, man, if it makes sense and it's aligned, let's like do it, and then uh, see how we can make an impact. So. Let's let's get after it, man. So I'm very excited to, again, uh, share what you're doing, sharing your story, because, again, there's been a lot of ups and downs, a lot of bumps in the road to get to where you've gotten now. Um, it, so to start out, how did all of this begin? Because, again, your goal right now is to empower over a billion people nationwide with what you're doing. So kind of give like a quick glimpse of um, how this all started for you, because again, it's been very, there were dark times, there were light times, uh, a lot of bumps in the road for you. So I kind of want to give you the floor here for a second to kind of share your story. Oh man, be careful. You give public speakers the floor and we turn it here into a speech of TED Talk. I'll be back in 35 minutes. <laughs> no, nah, man. Uh, I'm, I was born from in Jackson, Michigan and grew up wanting to be a professional athlete, actually the best athlete of all time. So oh, when wow. you talk about Michael Jordan or Mayweather or the rest in peace Kobe or like the arguably, you know, Kevin Durant and yeah. LeBron James debacle, like you name like your, your top athlete or who you deem 
the best athlete of all time. That was my desire. And I put in the work ethic to do it, earned a full ride scholarship to play division one football at central Michigan university. And long story short, I got injured. I had to have emergency back surgery before my left leg went paralyzed. And it took that dream away from me. And like people oftentimes, if they're not former athletes, they don't get it. But I tell them like, imagine like you buying into the belief that if you put your mind to anything, nothing is impossible. That if you put in the work, if you have the mindset, if you, if you get up early, you stay up late, if you outwork everybody else, like you will be successful. I bought into it and I did it to the T. I, I woke up early. I stayed up late. I worked harder than everybody else. I put in extra reps. I excelled. And then an injury took that away from me. And I felt like life wasn't fair. And I felt rejected. And I talk about this in my TEDx talk, Overcoming Rejection. And that caused me to implode. What I didn't know that I, that I know now is that I was hiding my internal insecurities behind my external success. And whenever you're extremely gifted at something, that's the temptation for many people to be so driven, to be so busy, to be so talented that nobody really knows if you're happy, that nobody really knows if you love yourself because it's easy to mask internal brokenness with external success. And so that's what I did. So let me pause there before I get into my TED talk. <laughs> I mean, it's so interesting that you say that because I feel like a lot of people would benefit from hearing what you just had to say when it comes to, again, expanding your horizons in a way and at the same time telling yourself that certain things are okay. You got to let some things go. You know, you're constantly figuring it out. You're constantly learning new things every day. Like that's what being human's all about. And to go with obviously what you were talking about, about your career, like you went full steam ahead, obviously tried to be the hardest worker in the room to be, like you said, one of the greatest athletes ever. That was your goal. And of course you hit a speed bump. And unfortunately that speed bump ended your career. And it, it kind of... It's a shell shock moment for sure. So I kind of wanted to pick your brain about what that whole experience was like trying to fight back and being told like, this is it. There's no way you're coming back from this. Yeah. I mean, if you want to piss an athlete off, tell them they can't do something. Yeah. And uh, that was my motto. And so uh, I got hurt going um, like towards the end of my freshman year. And there was a guy on our team by the name of Josh Allison who had the same surgery that I had the year before. And he tried to come back and he was like the epitome of like, or the prototype of like the weight room warrior, right? Like he was, he was strongest guy in the weight room, like tough guy. And so he tried to come back. He didn't last like a more than a week. And so they were like, dude, like, there's no way you're coming back from this. Like we value your leadership. We want you to come around sports whenever you're able to, but for now uh, you have a golden ticket. <clears throat> you can focus on education and then come around sports wherever you want to, and we'll honor your scholarship. But they didn't understand that sports wasn't what I did. It was who I was. It was my identity. It was my key to success. It was everything that I hoped for is the way I was going to be rich, famous, and successful. So I wasn't going to let it go that easy. And I was going to prove them wrong. So I begged them to let me get an opportunity to play. I got, I wasn't supposed to walk more than a mile within like the first three to four weeks of my surgery. And so um, I was in this wheelchair and I got out of the wheelchair the day after my surgery, held my abs tight, walked into the weight room and told them like, I'm ready, put me in. Like I was trying to show them that I'm coming back. And to make a long story short, I just um, uh, put my body through extreme discipline 
manipulated the healthcare system, got addicted to opioids, and I managed to come back and earn a starting position within two or within six months of my injury when I wasn't even supposed to be like running more than like a couple miles within that first six months. So I defied the odds. I had to sign a liability waiver so that they would not be liable for my injury or death. And then I, I was off to, to the races. And when you watch my film, you'll see that I was clearly injured. Right. Like, like, but I, but I always tell people this, like, um, you, you got to understand that me hurt was better than the next guy fully healthy. And so I just kept playing and playing and playing and playing and made some impact, made some plays, but did so at a cost to my mental and physical right. health. Wow. So you, in a sense, and I don't want to phrase it this way, kind of shot yourself in the foot towards the end there playing when you probably, the doctor's telling you like, it's not best for you to do what you're doing, but your passion almost blinded you in a sense to say like, this is what I want to do. I don't give an F what you say, but at the same time it ended up costing you what you were ultimately passionate about. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like, you know, there's a side of this that's like, yeah, competitors creed, like, you know, don't let uh, a tiny bump in the road. Don't let other people defy what you want in life. Like there's an element of this that's healthy and that like I would encourage people to push past pain and push past other people's opinion. But here's what I always tell people is that the, the dangerous part for me is that my identity was attached to my activity. For me, there was no separation between who I was and what I did. And that was where the danger happened. And because I lost sport and, and I had that tie of identity, I thought that losing sports meant that I lost self. And people need to understand that you cannot tie your identity to your activity. You can't tie it to a sport. You can't tie it to any type of career. You can't tie it to a relationship because the moment that that thing goes away, then you are left feeling like I did. Who am I without this thing? Well, who you are is still intact. What you did is just changing. And so that is something that I didn't know then that I wish I knew. And it's what led me down a path to, you know, uh, mental health challenges and suicide attempts. Well, that's, you know, given that's the only thing that you were passionate about at the time, maybe not the only thing you were passionate about, but like that was your one focus. Like you were all in. This is what I want to do. I want to be the greatest athlete of all time. I, I want to play until I can't play no more. Maybe when I'm 40, 50 years old to going to being a young kid, being told you can't do this anymore. There was really no plan B, I'm, I'm assuming. That's probably what led you down that spiral. Yeah, you know, and I always tell people like, because uh, that's a phrase that's used a lot, and I know what we say it's because we know the statistics of what it um, of the amount of athletes that are going to go from high school to college, from college to pro, and even from pro to that top tier of the pro, like pro bowler, you know, elite, and. Uh, it's not likely that everyone's going to make it. And they tell people, you know, put together your plan B. The problem with that narrative is that it is preparing an athlete to fail versus preparing them to succeed, which goes against their psychology. So in sports, you're told to believe that you can and you will. In sports, you're told that if you believe that you're the best, that you will be the best. So your psychology is not groomed to prepare for failure. You Failure is not an option. In fact, there's a lot of quotes. I see that in locker rooms. Failure is not an option. So what I tell people, if you want to get an athlete to really prepare for life after sports, prepare them for success, not for failure. So I tell them to dream big and then dream beyond. 
Okay, so dream big. I want you to imagine, like, close your eyes and imagine that you are the top of your game. You're the next Danica Patrick. You're the next Mayweather. You're the next Daryl Stinson. See what I did there? <laughs> you're, you're the next top athlete in the world. You're the best thing. Your, your jersey's hanging at the top of the stadium. They got trophies of you. They've got, you know, dolls and everything. Like, you're, you're just famous. And then I want you to ask yourself, now what? What do you do after that? And what that does is it prepares them for success, not for failure. That way, if they uh, their career ends sooner than what they were prepared for, they've already thought through that process and developed a sense of identity. I found that to be more effective in my work with athletes than simply telling them to plan for a plan B. I mean, that it's very difficult when you look at it in that term, because like when I look back four years ago, like I didn't really I knew what I wanted, but there was no plan B. You know, like I knew I loved sports. I've kind of developed you know, a passion for a hundred of, of other things, you know, like uh, I think Kobe Bryant is probably the perfect example of someone who was looked at as, you know, the, the five-time NBA champion, Los Angeles Laker legend. Like that guy had so many side projects. He was a writer. He, he was developing businesses before, you know, 10 years before he retired, you know, like he was setting himself up because he had other things. He wins an yeah. Oscar two years after um, he retires. Like, that's unheard of. Like, nobody yeah. realizes the work that gets put into that beforehand during his playing career. Like, you think that he was yeah. probably one of the hardest workers in the NBA. He's probably one of the hardest workers in business, period, while he's doing all of these other things, dr- juggling all of these other things, which is hard for a lot of people to grasp that are young, whether you're in high school, college, mid-20s, like... You need to expand your horizons in that sense. When did you realize that after, you know, going through the tough times that you went through that you're like, all right, there's more to life than than football. There's more to life than, than playing sports. There's more to life than what my previous dream was. Oh, dude, I crashed and burned. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, do as I say, not as I did. And, you know, I imploded and uh, went down a dark depression. I turned to drugs, I turned to alcohol. Um, and ultimately ended up in a psychiatric unit. Um, and it was there that I had this life-changing experience that where I found faith, I did a lot of inner healing, and I came out of that, that place uh, a changed man and uh, with this deep desire to figure out what my purpose was. And uh, I, I, I lived in the library. I studied a monk. I studied every major world religion because I was trying to figure out, like, what is my purpose. And a lot of advice was telling me, Hey, you know, what are you passionate about? And I'm like, dude, I'm passionate about sports and I can't do that anymore. And so, uh, through a lot of reflection, thousands of dollars of investments, uh, hours and hours of research, I came to this place where I feel like I found my highest purpose. And then I started to find different ways to express that purpose. And one of those ways was public speaking. But the problem with me getting into public speaking was that I sucked at it. I was insecure about my voice. I, I used to I used to be so afraid to speak in public that when people did icebreakers, I would leave the room and fake like I had to go to the bathroom so that they would skip over me. Right. Like one time I literally when I did one of my first public speakers, my, like I still have the video footage. My eye contact's terrible. I tried to uh, read my entire speech on a voice recorder and wear headphones and recite my recording while I was speaking. This is how insecure I was. And so what I recognized is that I thought that I had a confidence issue, mm-hmm. but in reality, I had a competence issue. 
See, I was telling myself I wasn't confident in this thing. And the truth of the matter is, is that I just wasn't competent. I had not put in the reps. I had not studied the craft. I had not invested in coaching yet. And so once I started to realize that, hey, well, maybe I would like speaking in public more and do more of it if I was better at it. <laughs> Maybe I would be more confident if I was more competent. And so I had to start from the bottom and I had to learn and get coaching and invest and try and fail. And when I started to get better and started to see that I can make an impact through a five minute talk, a podcast interview, then I was I fell in love with that. And that started to bring a sense of fulfillment. Okay. Then another expression is writing. And I just found these different ways to express my my purpose because I found the why beneath the what that I did. That's so interesting. I mean, what was some of the first things that you did? Because again, you said that you just couldn't do it right off the bat. You, mm-hmm. It's not about confidence. It was about competency, you know, like yeah. you didn't have the reps. You didn't practice too much. What were some of the first things you talked about going on a few podcasts here and there, but what were some of the first, you know, talking points that you had? Like, did you have prepared scripts when you went on these shows? Do you know exactly <laughs> what you're going to say? Or was it just kind of like, all right, I'm just going to let all my emotions run loose here and get no. this word out. No. Uh, it started with trying to find my identity. You know, one of the problems with being in the top 2% of an industry, which you're arguably the top two to 4%, of a sports industry as a division one athlete. And I was that. And to start at the bottom 2% of a, yeah. the public speaking industry is, is really embarrassing, but you still have this mindset that if I'm going to do this thing, I want to be back at the top. You want to be in the top two percenters. And so I knew that in order to do that, I couldn't just go and say the same thing that every other public speaker says. You know, hey, you're created for a purpose on purpose or, hey, uh, you know, if you put your mind to anything, you can succeed. Like, I didn't want to to sound like Eric Thomas. I didn't want to sound like Les Brown. I didn't want to sound like Lisa Nichols. I didn't want to sound like, you know, Jamie Lee Kerman, like whoever, uh, Tony Robbins. I wanted yeah. to sound like Daryl and I had to find my authentic voice. And so uh, in the beginning, I started kind of with who do I resonate with and why? And I would I would watch myself speak and I would ask myself, what can I say that's different that hasn't been said before? Like, what does the world really need to hear right now? And when I started to do that, I I noticed something. The other thing that I do is I would pay attention to my talks and I would watch the areas where I kind of got an autopilot you know, reciting and, 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 you know, doing what you're supposed to do during that time, whether it was like a, a standard, like keynote or whether it was like something motivational or it, it was a church sermon, like, like there's typically these, these unspoken rules in these different speeches that we feel like we have to deliver a certain way. And I would notice when I wasn't being genuine and where did I feel out of alignment? And then once I had a, a sense of awareness around that, I would go, okay, what would I've done in that moment if I didn't feel pressured to be someone I wasn't? And I would try new things. So uh, rather than opening up a sermon and being like, open your Bibles to page 123, <laughs> I would start out and be like, hey, yo, uh, I got an argument with my wife this week. And I, I would start off that way because that was more authentic. That's more natural to our conversation. Instead of feeling like I needed to yell every time where I was giving a motivational talk, I would start off with connecting with the heart and I would say, Hey man, maybe you're, you're here today and you're wondering if I have anything worth listening to. 
Like maybe you don't want to hear motivation and hula and rah rah yeah. because that's not going to fix your situation. And then I would go into my talk. So I started to find my authentic voice. And when I did that, I started to build from there. There's a whole process that I take people through in my mastermind, but I hope that adds some value. I mean, it's definitely hard, you know, kind of organizing what you're going to say in your mind, whether you write it down or you have it in your head. And for that to come off as authentic across when you're actually saying it, at least the first few times, because you know what you're going to say. And it almost sounds robotic. It sounds very monotone the first time you say it. But once you start getting those reps down and you're doing it consistently, you get into it where you can start ad-libbing a little bit. Like, you know what you're saying. You have the bullet points in your head, but now you're, you're rocking and rolling. Like, people are starting to, to feel what you're saying as opposed to it being like, and I totally agree with you. I grew up in a Catholic church. It's literally, let's turn to page 42. <laughs> like, you know, like it's just literally just dictatorship where, you know, yeah. you, you go somewhere else. And it's like testimonies, like like yeah, you said, yeah. like I got into a, a fight with my wife this week, like yeah. uh, my, my, my daughter's sick, like our, we had to put our yeah. dog down, like something real that people can relate to, something that they could feel in their hearts, you know, something that will, you know, kind of set their souls on fire and, and give them, you know, something to listen to as opposed to like, all right, here we go again. What, what are we doing in, in our class today? Like what's going to be the lecture today? Yeah, absolutely, man. And there's so many the tips and, and, you know, circling back to something you said earlier in the our conversation about Kobe Bryant and how successful he was. And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned him being hardworking. I agree. The dude's a beast. Like mm-hmm. the whole story about him, you know, staying in the gym later than the guy when oh, I yeah. like, you know what I mean? Uh, he was getting ready to leave and the guy came and he just shot free throws all day. So <clears throat> that whole story, like he, he was definitely a hard worker, but I think <clears> – <throat> A hidden skill skill set of Kobe Bryant was his instinct and his uh, self-awareness. And I think that gets so overlooked when you look at the greats is that they had an, a high level of self-awareness and instinct. And so what I'm describing to you around speaking, like there's storytelling structures, there's skill, there's body language, there's poise, there's vocal range. All that stuff that are tactics and skills that require hard work and putting in the reps. But what I find that people avoid is the instinctive part and in, in the awareness part that only can be found in reflection. So how did Kobe Bryant figure out that he wanted to be a writer? How did he figure out what he wanted to write? How did he figure out his writing style? Those are things that come from introspection, not necessarily work ethic. And we have to put value to that. I remember watching an interview that he was doing on the Mamba mentality, and he was talking to a girl that lost a championship game in college. And he was like, have you watched the film yet? And she was like, no, I'm like, I'm, I'm mad that we lost. I made some mistakes. I don't want to look. He's like, well, the only way for you to get better is for you to look at it. Yep. Introspect, reflection. How, so, so not just show up early in the gym and work hard. But, hey, learn you. Learn what was your mentality when you missed that play. Learn how your emotional stability was throughout the game. Learn and look at your leadership and what was causing you to uh, uh, be uh, a less version of a leader that you could have been. Those are the things, those are the soft skills, the intuition that I feel like we need to talk about more in terms of any type of success. This is what every great athlete has, but oftentimes we glorify their work ethic and we don't understand their intuition. You saw the Mayweather fight. Did you see the post interview? Mm-hmm. 
One of the things he said in the post interview, uh, he was like, y'all can say whatever you want. I changed my name from Pretty Boy Floyd to Money Mayweather. Introspect. Reflection. You see what I'm saying? That's something that we overlook. We just look at him like his work ethic, his track history. Like, But we're missing how self-aware he is in taking ownership over all aspects of his life. I mean, you're preaching to the choir right there. (laughs) It's, again, kind of very refreshing to have a conversation with someone about stuff like this because you see it time in and time again, people just thinking like, oh, that's who they are. That's who they were meant to be. Like there's work that goes into this constant work you know like he obviously to go back to Kobe Bryant he put in the work to be one of the greatest basketball stars of all time while at the same time bringing together that intuition to want to be a writer to want to work in film to want to create the multiple businesses that he created that's going to set up his family thank goodness for generations to come you know you know you moving forward in what you do when it comes to public speaking, speaking at events, how often do people come up to you and talk to you afterward and say like, Hey man, thanks so much. Like that conversation inspired me. It's going to inspire me to become a a more happier human being. It's going to inspire me to want to do more things, kind of think outside the box, if you will, in that sense to want to pursue different things because they kind of went through what you went through. All the time. (laughs) <laughs> all yeah. the time, you know, and I never take it for granted. And it's always an honor when people say it uh, because it's it's uh, I don't fulfilling uh, to know that, you know, something I've been through, something I said, the way that I said it could change somebody's life. I mean, it never ceases to amaze me. I mean, even with podcasts, I get people that reach out. And are like, man, I so needed to hear that. Even if we don't go down all the depression route, like even some of the stuff I said about success and high performance, like that's stuff that people need to hear. And I and I think not think I know that the best speakers are the best listeners. If you lose your ability to listen, you simultaneously will start to lessen your ability to speak because they go hand in hand. And a lot of times when people get into the speaking industry or start sharing their story, we are so caught up in what we have to say that we miss what the audience needs to hear. And I always tell people, never let what you want to say get in the way of what the audience needs to hear. And to know that you have to really, really know your audience and not just assume that you know them. And so the more relational I am, the better speaker I become. So how, how many, um, not to cut you off there, but yeah, how, no, many, how, many, how many, you talk about repetition, how many events did you um, speak at leading up to what was your TED talk, you know, because uh, <laughs> again, I, I kind of wanted to wrap around back to that because we mentioned it earlier, but how yeah. long did it take you to kind of get there and get to that point where you wanted to be? Dude, that's crazy. So I don't know. I can't even count the number of times. So yeah, you take from 2012 is when I started. And I mean, a minimum once a week. I, I went through a, a whole like year or two where I was speaking like three, four times a week, you know. Uh, so and a lot of times on different subjects. So required to put together and come up with new material is crazy. And so I don't know, man, hundreds and hundreds of times uh, I, I didn't track it, uh, but it'd be interesting to kind of to come up with a a ballpark estimate. But you know what's crazy about the TEDx platform 
is that you don't have to have a ton of speaking experience to do a TEDx talk. A lot of people don't know that. I actually have a program that teaches people everything they need to know uh, to get on a TEDx talk. And I'll share it with you, man. It's it's like, it's because I believe in that power, the power of that platform to spread message. TEDx is not about great public speakers and it's not about groundbreaking information. It's about ideas worth spreading. So I always tell people in order to land a TEDx talk, you you need to and, and make a global impact. You need to say TEDx three times in the mirror, <laughs> like TEDx, TEDx, TEDx. And then I'm like, it's because it's an acronym for TEDx. So number one is your talk. Your talk is about your idea that's worth spreading. So if you can get clear on the idea, uh, then you can uh, be one step closer to landing the stage. A lot of people, man, uh, they, they when they want to get a TEDx talk, they, they either are two, one or two people. They have a heartfelt story. I've been through all this crap and I want to share this inspiration or they have all this like nerdy information they want to share. But I asked them, like, what's the idea? <laughs> what's the idea we're spreading? So your talk, a uh, uh, the E is your elevator pitch. This is your video, your application. D is your delivery. Once you land the stage, you got to be able to deliver it. And then X is multiply because once you get on that platform, you need to have a marketing strategy that helps you get visibility. So I always tell people that when I did my talk, I was the third best speaker. Okay. That's me guessing, right? It's not my insecurity, not me trying to be humble. Two people straight up crushed it (laughs) way better than I did. My talk has uh, over 800,000 views now. Uh, The one that's the closest is 60,000 views. And it's because they did not have the organic marketing strategy that I used. And so uh, I just tell people, you don't need a ton of speaking experience. You can have a podcast interview. You can never have spoken before, but if you have a great idea that's worth spreading and you can explain it in two to three minutes uh, on, a, on a video, you can land a TEDx stage. How early on slash difficult was it for you kind of growing your page? Again, spreading your message. It's a very, it's inspiring, but at the same time, like, it's got to be scary putting that out at first, you know, like how quickly did it grow? How quickly did people kind of latch on to what you were, you know, your story and what you were trying to spread? It actually caught on pretty quickly. So I, I, I mean, I had my page for the longest and I had, I was only using it for like friends and family, you know, posting pictures of like absolutely nothing that anybody from the greater population cares about. But at the point where I was like, okay, like now I want to start like getting more followers and creating more engagement. And so I did not know what I was doing. Like if you scroll like 10 scrolls far enough, you see, uh, probably more than that now, but you'll, you'll start to see like, dude, this sucked. <laughs> it got to was terrible. I had no clue what I was doing. So I hired a coach and uh, se- I've had several since then. So, uh, you know, Veronica Abrams and uh, David Meltzer and yep. uh, Paul, uh, who's worked with like Les Brown, Grant Cardone. I, I just hired him in and I was like, teach me the, the game, how to do this. And I'm currently implementing a lot of their strategies. And every time I hit a consistent spree, I start to grow like crazy. And what people do is they try to be really intense, right? That's like trying to lose weight in like 30 days. Like I always say consistency beats intensity every single time. So a lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to post every day and I'm going to do video, video, video. And then they don't know what they're doing. And then it doesn't work and they don't get 10,000 followers. So then like I quit. And I was like, if you just be consistent and make little tweaks and improvements, you can start to grow. So I don't know if it was 30, 60, 90, 100 days. Um, but I do know that uh, when I was consistent, it grew relatively quickly within the period of about six months. Wow. So you probably yeah. are getting a ton of messages from people just like amazing to share your story that they're kind of giving you an insight into what's going on in their own lives. 
So kind of to touch back on what I asked earlier about people, you know, coming up to you and, you know, thanking you for sharing your story. Has there been anybody in particular that you can think off the top of your head that really stands out that, you know, gave you a message like, thank you so much for, for sharing this. This inspired me. This is what's going on in my life. And did you know how to answer to it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I got to try not to cry when I tell the story. Uh, this is the number one I tell all the time. Keep in mind, I had been speaking for quite some time when this moment happened, but I was still so into myself and I was yeah. still trying to impress um, and uh, and wasn't all about service and impact. And I was still battling some insecurities and wasn't showing up in my power like I could as a speaker. And so one day I spoke at a youth conference and it's about 200 or so students. And I got done and there's about a line of 20 or so of them. And at the very end of this line, there was this little skinny girl. She had a wristband on. It was a uh, sports camp, so uh, soccer. And she comes up to me and she's shaking, like literally. And uh, she's in tears. And I can tell, like, oh, God, I'm be here for a minute. And uh, she said, sir, I just want to say thank you. Uh, last year, my parents dropped me off at an orphanage. And they never came back. And then she looks at her wrist and she pulls up her wristband. And you can see the cuts on her wrist. And she says, I've been cutting myself because I feel like something must be wrong with me that I deserve to be in pain. And there was something about hearing your story today and knowing that you could be successful and still have mental health challenges that gave me the courage to come out about my struggle. So you're the first person I'm telling this to. Dude, I broke. I grabbed her in my arms. I'm crying. She's crying. The, the most beautiful part about this story is that at the camp, one of the staff members was from Operation Christmas Child, and she had been through 14 different orphanages, orphanages before. So she was able to spend like two hours with this girl. But I left that moment and it forever changed me because I was like, I get it. I get my problem. My problem is I'm so focused on trying to be impressive that I forget that my purpose as a speaker is not to be impressive, it's to be helpful. And when I made that psychological shift, that paradigm shift in my mind, now when I got on stage, I was actually on stage to give yep. rather than to get. So rather than to get affirmation, get applause, get followers, get likes, get people to buy my products, I was there to give affirmation, give encouragement, give motivation. And that shifted the energy. It changed the way that I spoke. It eliminated the insecurity. And man, I, I will never forget that moment. It's amazing to think, you know, some of these stories that, especially this one, in, you know, specifically, because now you're, now, you know, you're inspiring people. Now, you know, it's not about you. It's about them. You know, like you're, you're providing them with the insight, the knowledge, the inspiration to do better, be better, overcome whatever sickness it is that tells you that you're not good enough. Right. Cause again, like it's very hard to figure out. It's, it's a learning curve almost every single day for people to figure out what's wrong with them in the sense of like, why am I feeling down? Why am I, why do I feel like I'm not good enough? Because it's still to this day, there's a lot of it that's unanswered, you know, like you can't really explain it sometimes, even if you're kicking ass, like you're kicking ass right now, you know, like you could be Floyd Mayweather, you could be Kobe Bryant, you still have down days for whatever reason, things aren't clicking. So it's very inspiring, very, very awesome to see you, you know, go through what you went through, work 
through the work that you've done to get to the point where you're at, where someone comes up and talks to you and shares something that intimate with you. Yeah. Yeah. Forever changed me. Thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, again, we're running towards the end of the show here. I wish we could talk for hours upon hours of this stuff, dude. We're definitely going to have to do this again sometime. But I wanted to, again, kind of get back to what you're doing, you know, moving forward, your goal of empowering over a billion people. That's what you said at the start. Um, what do you got moving forward? Do you have any events that you're speaking at? Uh, and where can we find you on, again, social media so we could spread the word? Because, again, your page, very powerful, man. I'm glad you reached out. and I'm glad we got to do this. Yeah, uh, man. Uh, yeah, I've got tons of speaking events. I'm going on all types of college tours and um, um, doing corporate talks. Like uh, I'm doing a lot of stuff. So you know, I try to I try to be more active on social. I'm not the best at. It. I need to get somebody to just follow me around. Um, but you can just reach out to me on Instagram at Stinson Speaks and um, or at my website DarylStinson.com, uh, and I'm sure you have it in the show notes or whatever. But uh, man, one my focus right now is, like I said, to impact those people. And I realized that there's only two ways for me to really do that. Number one is to uh, share my story more. So I can't disclose all the information because I'm still going through contracts, but I actually have two different agencies that are going to represent me um, and be able to uh, open up more doors, eliminate some of the back end fulfillment that I have to do when I get booked to speak uh, so that I can get out there to more people and focus only on my message. The other way is that I realized that uh, I need to raise up voices and leaders. Uh, there's Daryl's in the world. There's people like yourself who have stories and, and, and they just don't know what it's, they don't know how to communicate it. So they need to grow in the art of communication or they don't know the business side. They don't know how to get booked and paid to speak. And I believe that if you have a heart centered mission that you deserve to be paid for that. And so, um, you know, I do stuff for free, but I also am able to, you know, make a living to be able to do that. And so I'm helping other people, you know, um, you know, get, get into the speaking industry who, who have the right mission. And so like Larry, I have an application process and I'm, and I, I, they fill out the application and then I interview them. And if they're not like heart centered and like on a mission that, that I've like, not just theoretically, like I want to help people, but like, you can tell bro, like mm -hmm. if the person's about service or not, then I just say, no, <laughs> shocked. You know what I mean? I'm like, dude, I'm not about to waste my time because it's not in alignment with the impact I want to make in the world. So that's what my focus is raising up voices and being a voice myself. Well, it's awesome to see, you know, how much clarity you have in this right now, dude. Again, everything that you've gone through in your life, I'm so glad. And, you know, you talked about, you know, you know, reach out to you on social media, you know, give it, give Daryl a follow and he might reach out to you. That, that, that's what happened to me. Uh, again, I'm so grateful that we got to have this conversation. We're definitely going to have to do it again soon. Much longer format as well. Again, Daryl Stinson, thank you so much for taking the time, man. Thank you. Appreciate you, buddy. This was episode 368 of The O Show. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.